0: My name is Casey. I'm a compulsive reader and bulimic, and I'm very happy to be here. Thank you, John. Thank um, you. I, in fact, am leaving Los Angeles, not the greater Los Angeles area, but it'll be a few hours away. And where I'm going, the meetings I've experienced there so far are not as strong as many of the meetings in Los Angeles. So I expect to be listening to the podcast of this meeting almost every week. I mean, actually, I'm certain it's every week, but it might not be that week. You know, but, I, but I, will, I will listen to them so I'm grateful that people podcast these things um, I want to start by handing out things so they take a while to hand around I looked for some photographs of myself in my disease and I look pretty damn good in my disease uh, <laughs> but uh, you know what was in my head we we're about to hear about so um, I, um, I, I've got real food issues Uh, I uh, have real metabolic issues. I have almost died five times in my life for metabolic causes. Um, I was, uh, the last one was, well, not the last one, the penultimate one, it used to be the last one, was by my own hand, and that's what got me in these rooms. I said, I didn't really want to be killing myself, I just was, You know, if I was suicidal, there are simpler ways so uh, I was born with something that my mother had toxemia let's start there so I was being poisoned in the womb they made sure to get me out I was born probably not feeling very well though I have no conscious recollection of that I was then born with something they called celiac with all the information about celiac that's around these days in retrospect it could not have been celiac because that's incurable but it was something like celiac I was allergic to almost everything that upset my stomach so for my first two and a half years of life I lived on only soy milk and bananas I pretty much got over that stuff and I was okay until I was six uh, so from two and a half to six I ate anything I wanted to at six I developed you know, a case of those kind of childhood, sometimes into adulthood, nightmare allergies. I had uh, hives when I ate any over 300 foods I was allergic to. So I didn't eat them. By the age of 12, I had outgrown almost all of those. I still am allergic to two pharmaceuticals and I don't need to take those, they're not all that common. So I was okay until I was 21. At the age of 21, I became a type 1 diabetic. You have to have the genetic flaw. I mean, whatever has been happening physically or emotionally, spiritually, if we want to call it that, uh, can happen. Unless you have the genetic flaw, you won't become a diabetic. But I did. It happened to me in the midst of a nightmare breakup with a college boyfriend. He actually had had a nervous breakdown, and I became a diabetic.
1: And
0: uh, so I... Then had a different, very different regimen in life, which I have to this day. And I was pretty okay because I had my form of bulimia, by the way, and it's not all that uncommon in women, in particular diabetics, is I'm a diabolemic. I have never stuck my finger down my throat. I, what I have done is taken less or no insulin when I should be. It's very simple to explain. Think of a car. You put all the gasoline you want in a car, um, it, you put all the food you want in your body, <clears throat> it doesn't go anywhere if you don't also turn the key or in, you know, some cars press the button. And um, I wasn't metabolizing my food because I didn't want to. I did not want to gain the weight of the food I was eating. So I did that, not very healthy thing, seldom for many years. I did it for half a day, a day, whatever it was. Uh, then I was raised by a true narcissist, diagnosed by people besides her daughter.
1: And,
0: uh, you know, so I really didn't like myself. I thought I was just, you know, an incomplete, imperfect, marginally bad person. And, um,. But that was okay, because I ended up in a career where I help people. I mean, I'm not a, you know, nurse in the ICU, but I help people. I help people with their careers. So lots and lots and lots of people like me. I mean, I was living in New York City at that point, and uh, Biden liked me. It w- was only in retrospect, I realized this. I didn't know it at the time. I... Um, didn't like me but I would have breakfast, lunch, coffee, a business meeting, whatever it was with somebody who liked me and that would last for 24 to 36 hours. So if you like me, I like me and it worked for decades. I am fortunate that I met and married a husband I still love and I'm still married to 40 plus years later. A few of you know him. And um so he loves me. I mean, I thought he was crazy, but he loves me. <laughs> and um, I also want to talk a bit, and it's not on my food story, but it is on my food story, because this was one of the most important realizations I had in my adult life, in part through 12-step programs, that there's a huge difference between feeling loved and feeling lovable. I knew I was loved. I mean I was loved by my husband I was loved by many other people but I thought it was lucky miracle whatever we want to call it I didn't feel lovable until I really worked the steps I only know how to live life two ways with anesthesia or with steps those are my only choices I mean uh, you know, I can't do it otherwise so uh, I was doing this diabolemic thing occasionally uh, we, I told you how I cope with life by being with people who like me for reasons that made complete sense for my husband's career and therefore our lives because it was an excellent opportunity. In 1998, uh, we moved out to California. I learned how to drive at 43 when I moved from New York City. I mean, I was a real New York City girl.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so I was pretty unhappy. I mean, I went quite willingly. It made a lot of sense, but I was pretty unhappy. I was more unhappy than I thought I would be. So I've always liked other ingredients, mind-altering substances. But in my opinion, they might have been at the level of addiction before that, but they certainly got to the level of addiction when I moved because I was so unhappy. And so it took me about two years to get sober once I was here. And I got sober in the year 2000. I think that's the end you're going to hear of my sobriety. I know this is an OA meeting, but it's relevant. And uh, once I got sober, I didn't actually want to... You know not have anesthesia of some sort so I ate even more and if I ate even more this diabulimic thing increased because I now wasn't uh, trying to not metabolize food I ate sometimes I was trying to now not metabolize food I was eating on a nearly daily basis I was overeating and eating things I shouldn't be eating on a nearly daily basis those photographs that are going around. Some of them are before this. Maybe I think more than half of them before this um, moment when I moved to California. Uh, some of them are later. But I wanted to look like I had looked when I was getting inebriated with substance as opposed to food. And I could do that. But the only way I could do that was by taking terrible care of my health. So in the summer of... 2001. I say that's sober in 2000. In the summer of 2001, uh, my daughter, my father, and I had gone off to vacation on this little island off the coast of New Hampshire, where we used to go when well, we lived in New York City. There's an international affairs conference there every summer. We all went off. We had a good time. My husband actually stayed home. He had to work too much, and I got really sick. I got hospitalized for about a week in Portsmouth. That was one of my almost dying experiences and that's the one I say I caused because I did cause it the others I didn't cause and I had heard of OA I had never been to an OA meeting and I got back uh, late August early August I'm sorry I don't think it's an accident that my very first meeting in OA was a Hiroshima day
1: but on,
0: <laughs> but on August 6, 2001 I came to my first OA meeting uh, on Hill Street. Some of you know those meetings. And I couldn't find the place, uh, but when they said I had any newcomers come in since the start of the meeting, I was a newcomer who came in since the start of the meeting. And uh, I've been going ever since. It is without a doubt my hardest program. Um, but it is the one that I also had my lowest bottom in. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also an Al-Anon, as many of us are, but uh, I never got myself into a situation that was truly dangerous because I wanted to, like, sacrifice myself to somebody else. You know, that was, that was not going on with me. So, um, I, it took me six years to become abstinent, and here's the story of how it happened i wanted my abstinence to be what i was reading a lot of people say in those days and i still hear people say and some people in this room i wanted it to be three meals a day no excessive sugar or you know white flour and in my case because i'm a diabetic i sometimes have to eat sugar or white flour to raise my blood sugars but uh, no excessive and uh, maybe a snack maybe not a snack but I would only eat as needed medically other than three meals a day so um, I could do that I just couldn't do that at the most I got seven months I would get a week or two or three or four months or two months or whatever I had a sponsor who's often in this room I don't see the person here today I burned through sponsors in my first five years I mean totally burned through sponsors and uh, some left me some I left and uh, I uh, this person who's still a friend said one day don't you feel like a complete failure I looked at her I said of course I feel like a complete failure because I'm failing at this you know um, and she said well why don't you come up with an abstinence that's not silly that you feel you can keep You know, and there's somebody in these rooms uh, who I haven't seen lately, so maybe not, was in these rooms or is out of town and moved, but uh, whose absence was to keep coming back to meetings. That worked for that person. That person maybe couldn't do more than that. For me, that would have been silly. I don't find it hard to go to meetings. I love people. Uh, You know, I know a lot of us are isolators. I'm not. And so um, what I found over 12 years ago now was a real bulimic abstinence if I eat it I metabolize it if I eat it I take insulin for it I have never had a goal since then and I didn't really for a while before but I hadn't called up my abstinence so I might technically have more than my amount of time but I counted it from the day I called up my abstinence and uh, it was, you know, I don't run purposely high blood sugars. I used to love to run purposely high blood sugars because that meant I was losing weight. That was really cool. And uh, so pretty sick. So um, what I do now is I also have a food plan. And my food plan is a real diabetics food plan. It is very few carbohydrates. Uh, except as desperately needed, no straight sugar, no, you know. The other day, just this past weekend, my husband and I went down to South Florida to see my mother. And uh, my sugar was dropping, 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 in a hotel room, fortunately. And um, I had run out of oranges that day. We were leaving the next morning. I always have oranges uh, or raisins or something in my handbag and I said we're in a hotel room they have got have packets of sugar so I actually downed about four packets of sugar five packets of sugar because that's what was there but I don't do that generally I did it in the last week though so um, what happened is that when I then started to I to talk about the steps I'm already, I think I've got about ten minutes left and to me when they write in the big book it's to show it precisely, I think that's the word. It might be exactly. I should know it by now. In the forward, uh, how we have recovered is the purpose of this book. So let's do the steps, and I hope I get them finished before I have to stop talking. Step one, I just described my story. I knew it. When I was in that hospital bed in New Hampshire, I already knew the steps from my earlier program. I was in a fetal position, feeling horrible physically, and doing steps one, two, and three. You know, it was like, I need... Please, you know, take care. And um, step four, I don't know if I'm fooling myself, but I think I've never, even years and years ago, when I first did it, have a lot of resentment. So ones I have may be powerful, but I don't resent a lot of people, places, or institutions. I may dislike them, but I don't resent them. And I once had a sponsor in this program, one of my early sponsors, who, when I handed her... <coughs> my fourth step resentment list. she said, really? That's all? And I said, really, that's all? She said, why don't you make a list of the people, places, and institutions that annoy you? That was a big list.
1: <laughs>
0: that, was, that, 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 that was a big list. And we actually did the work on every person, place, and institution on that list. But I, that's not how I treat my sponsees. When I get to 12, I'll talk about sponsees. So step five. You've got to tell this stuff to people. And the most important thing in step four, of course, is my part. I talked a little bit about my mother before. Uh, my part in my relationship with my mother, whatever she did, I came to realize a number of years ago, I mean, but they' are really double digits here, uh, that she really and truly absolutely did her best. Her best was her best. Uh, and when you look at my family tree, her mother was worse than her. Her mother's mother was worse than her. You know, I don't know if I was a better mother than my mother. Uh, but, you know, it's like, I think I probably was. Uh, there are issues with my daughter that, you know, she has her own issues. But, so that's four uh, Six, six is the bitch. Six is, you know, six is really tough. You know, those words, you know, entirely. All. You know, the exegesis in the AA uh, 12 and 12 on six. you know, says we're not aiming towards perfection. Well, it's easy to get confused with words like entirely and all, but that's what we're doing, right? You know, and, uh, but I just heard a fifth step from one of my newest sponsees in this program, somebody I've known for a few years who asked me to sponsor her. And, um, you know, I told her I called her only Remaining character defect, but it was, you know, moderately serious, was impatience. And she said, no, she had, you know, done programs and she knew she had three or four others. And she gave him three. I said, yeah, I could see those, but they're not intense. You know, they're not intense. So seven, the nice thing about seven is that um, once we find these character defects, we don't have to remove them are uh, higher power and I didn't talk about higher power at all it may end up being a question or I may have time but I have an unusual high power it's certainly not supernatural and uh, but it's mostly you guys and the other people in my life they don't have to be addicts but they have to be good people you know who um, can help me with that eight because I had very few resentments my eighth step list was much bigger than my fourth step list yeah. you know I had harmed many more people than I resented and um, what did I have to do with those people except when to do so would injure them or others. There were a few I really shouldn't make restitution to, even the verbal restitution. But the rest of them I had to go do it. I will share a story that some of you know, but my first ninth step amends uh, I don't believe I've ever intentionally treated anybody as badly as I treated that college boyfriend I made reference to a number of minutes ago, the one that I became diabetic when we broke up. And I did creepy things to him. And he didn't want to marry me. How dare he? You know, we were, we were 20, and he didn't want to get married. So um, my 25th college reunion was coming up. And I went to a college, tiny, tiny. My college graduating class literally had 51 people in it. And so I figured that for the 25th reunion, 35, 40, maybe 45 of those 51 people would show up. We all knew each other and cared about each other. And in fact, I think it was like 43 people who showed up. I suspected he would be one of them. I knew I would be one of them. And I knew where he. It said, thank you. And I knew where he would. Well, I had worked a number of years earlier. I didn't know if he was still there, but I ta- at first I called my sponsor, of course, because I was not on Step Nine. And I said, I want to jumpstart one of them. Here's why. And I don't want to run into this guy and not have made amends to him. So she said, oh, that makes sense. So I called where he had worked. And I said, this is, you know, Casey. I'm trying to reach, oh, I didn't say that. I am trying to reach so-and-so. Yes, uh, who's who, who's calling? This is so-and-so. Uh, it was not a 70 or 80 person operation. He was near the top of the food chain. The chances of him answering the phone were very small. But that's what happened. I said, I want to speak with you about something that happened many years ago. He said, here's my email address. So I did the right sort of ninth step. None of it was his doing. All of it was my doing. And he got back in touch and said, uh, you know, I was in a bad place at that point also. It wasn't all you. I don't care if that's true. I mean, may be true or may not be true. What I care about is that in that weekend, a few months later, I probably saw him five, six, seven times. I didn't feel I hated myself any of those times. I didn't even feel I disliked myself any of those times. You know, it, the worked. Uh, steps 10, 11, and 12 are supposedly the maintenance steps. I've had to do a second, fourth step once. I think, you know, some people do fourth steps as they go through them again. Uh, the way I work with my sponsees and the way my sponsor works with me and the way I work myself is that if it's old stuff that I just hadn't realized, it's a fourth step. If, and that, that happened once with somebody. If it's Stuff I did yesterday or last week or last month, but it's not before I came into program or it's not really old because I've been in program a while, it's a 10-step. And uh, I'm not promptly admitting it when I'm wrong. Uh, I, I'm not good at always seeing when I'm wrong right away. And I'm pretty good at seeing it when it's pointed out. If somebody says, you stepped on my toes and that hurts. You know, 11, prayer and meditation. I was raised by proselytizing atheists. I mean, my mother literally says, "If you believe in God, you're not paying attention." And uh, you know, and uh, but I begin most mornings on my knees praying to a God I don't believe in.
1: You know,
0: I get out of bed, I'm on my knees, and what am I praying for? I'm praying. I was praying in my car coming over here to try to give a good talk. You know, what am I praying for? I'm praying for centeredness. I'm praying for connection I'm praying for an ability to pay at least as much attention to you as I do to myself I've also got this kind of double life which all people in addiction programs have I've got an extra one because I'm also physically ill so my mind is always on some level of something of like what's my blood sugar right but uh, but I can still pay 95% attention to you even if it can't be a hundred because I got these other issues um, Twelve. I'm trying to count how many OA sponsees I have coming over here. It's not that it's a ridiculous number. I just couldn't count because some people don't call me very often at all. But I think I've got four OA sponsees. I have eight sponsees in my various programs. And uh, what I do is I say and mean. I'd rather not be called at two in the morning. But if you either feel suicidal or like eating a gallon of ice cream at two in the morning, call me at two in the morning. You know. And by the way, often those are the same thing: suicidal or eating a gallon of ice cream. And um, you know, I speak when asked. I um, you know don't burden my normie friends and my husband with a lot of this stuff. I and mean, he's happy to know I'm in these programs. Uh, I think I've got like you yeah, one minute. I'll close with this when I had been to my only two or three OA meetings ever I went home one day I was just talking to him we like each other and I mentioned something somebody had said of course not giving names but as a you know, parenthetical it was and eating food out of the garbage and he looked at me and said eating food out of the garbage and I don't know anybody in these rooms except the hardcore anorexics and that's you know those people yes who hasn't eaten food out of the garbage. You know, sometimes we talking about whether we're going to wash cigarettes mm-hmm. butts off them. I've never smoked, so that's not my problem. Cigarettes, a cigarette, at least. But, uh, you know, that's what we do. We can talk to each other here in ways that other people think we're nuts. Mm-hmm. And I am now done, and thank you very much.
1: <laughs>
0: now is the time for questions. Um, I am supposed to repeat the question, and if I forget, please remind me because I often remind people. And uh, questions that go until 9 30, yes?
1: <coughs> Thank you. Casey, could you talk some more about your relationship with your higher power, how that came to be? If you turn things over, what do you what do to do, do, do that? How do you get help from this?
0: Your thing. My question is, how do I turn things over to a higher power, and what, who is my higher power? Um, my higher power is a variation on a Buddhist higher power. It's my own still voice. If I can get the noise, and there's a lot of noise, in my out of my head, which is why I try to be centered, I try to be calm. I do meditate, I don't meditate a lot. Uh, I do pray, as I say to a god I don't believe in, so that sounds... I don't know how to say it better than that. But I care about being still. I care about thinking what you guys do. I call my sponsors. since this is, you know, I call... I, I have three programs and two sponsors. I have a sponsor a sponsor in both programs. Um, I read the literature. There's somebody I love this story. There's somebody I know who... If uh, he woke up at 2 a.m. in the middle of the night at 2.13 13, he would read page 213. You know, uh, of course, that means you can't wake up after 5. Yep. But I want to go back to sleep. And um, it's, it's not that hard. If I can get still, I know what the right thing to do is. What I need to do is to get still. Thank you. I hope that's enough.
1: All um, <coughs> that. Um, what does it mean
0: to, pray to God? That what it means is to think that there's something outside of my natural self. My natural self is a little girl who was born, born having been poisoned, then became sick, then became panicked, then became, you know, I look highly functional. I've done all sorts of good things in my life. Uh, but what I am is I've got this little voice saying, where's the next scary thing? You know, and if I can get rid of that scary stuff, that's how I pray to a God I don't believe in. The God, you know, I mean, do I, I fundamentally really believe that there's a limited time frame and in two or three hundred years the human species won't be here because of the various things we're doing I don't act like that on a daily basis you know I mean it's um, you know I have to get rid of this stuff so that I can you know my own still voice I hope that's sufficient I think everybody's confused about this with me but I'm doing my best verbally to explain it thank you um, could you talk a little bit about service and what it does
1: for you
0: service and what it does for me um, well let's start with the simple basic stuff although I would tend to do this anyway but it gets me to meetings uh, because I'm in three programs as I say I'm moving out of town in a pretty short period of time but where I am I take commitments at least one in every single one of my programs so minimally I'm getting to a meeting a week in that program I like to go to morning meetings I'm not a night person um, uh, my sponsors um, well, no, I'm sorry, my sponsees I I talk to people I mean, I, uh, I've i been the newcomer contact here three, four, five times you know, I mean, if somebody wants to come over and talk to a newcomer and I typically, when I'm giving my newcomer announcement, say, if you're new or you just want to talk you know, it's um, I believe all the answers are for people who like to get things out of books in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I really am a book supper, uh, But uh, I think the 12 and 12 for the OA is good too if people can't relate to things that feel more rock bottom than your own. My my food story is rock bottom, but not everybody's is. And uh, so, um, you know, I'm always happy to help uh, but I also volunteer to help on the birthday party uh, a few years ago I haven't had a position at the birthday party I volunteer in the last few years but I was I think I volunteered to be newcomer uh, chair but what I decided to do and it's become a tradition since then is four years ago maybe I said let's give away books to newcomers so we started to all around Los Angeles ask for people to donate new or used books for newcomers at the birthday party that kind of stuff yes thank you Casey
1: um, in the beginning you talked about feeling loved but not lovable would you talk about where you are
0: now with that? sure uh, loved and not lovable where I am now I didn't repeat the last question kind of obvious, but I was bad to do, not do that. That was about service. Uh, the, uh, this one is talk more about feeling, what it's like to feel loved and lovable. Uh, well, the great thing about feeling lovable is that at least for some relatively short period of time, it's less crucial if I feel loved. I mean, let's say that I'm working on a project for work that's gonna take four or five hours. Uh, the infantile part of me, uh, you know, infants can't be not loved except when they're asleep for four or five hours and be happy. That doesn't work. And uh, so um, what happens is that as an adult, I'm not an infant, I uh, don't have to go into a panic of where's my next connection. I don't need a next connection because I really believe it will happen. Whereas I wasn't sure it would happen if I was only feeling loved but not lovable. There was a moment, I, I say I lived in New York City. And I always assumed I would die young. It hasn't happened, it's too late. But uh, you know, it's, um, I, I was walking down the street and I heard one of these big trucks screech its brakes and I was in Midtown and I said to myself, nothing happened, it wasn't an accident. I said to myself, oh, my husband could be on that block and he could have just been run over. It. But, you know, I was ironically kind of happy, not because I wanted him to be run over or not run over, mm-hmm. but because I said that was the first time I ever even thought he might die before me. You no, know, I was going to die. I was the physically sick one. And, uh, you know, it just, um, you know, I don't have to panic about where's my next bit of luck because it will come. Thanks. Follow up?
1: Yes. <laughs> you you do feel lovable now? Yes. But, yeah, so thank you. Yes? You mentioned for some time you struggled with trying to maintain a very strictly defined abstinence and then you. Uh, transform that into something that worked a little bit more. Was it difficult to
0: trust that less than abstinence? And if so, how did you develop that trust a little bit more? Yes, remember. I'd, oh, how did? It, was it difficult for me to get my new looser abstinence and accept it as an abstinence? Is that a fair? Okay. Um, I think it would have been very difficult a few years earlier, maybe even a year earlier or two years earlier. I tried for five years to get an abstinence I couldn't keep. I say at the most I got seven months. And uh, so it wasn't difficult, but I'm not sure if somebody had suggested to me, you know, find an abstinence to keep. I might not have even invented that one in my head, but more to the point if somebody had said, try this, what do you think about this? I would have said, that's not enough. I think it's related to the love, the lovable question, you know, can I be lovable in this program and can I help others without giving up? I mean, you know, it was necessity, but I, have, I wasn't alone in that hotel room. I could have asked my husband, could you go out and find a 7-Eleven and get me some oranges? I didn't. I figured I got to guzzle some sugar, so I guzzled some sugar. You know, it's, uh, that's no, but it took years, I think, to be comfortable with it, but years were in advance of it. You. you
1: mentioned you were going to move and I wonder what anxieties and things <laughs>
0: are coming up and I do to uh, move yeah I mentioned that I was going to move a lot of anxieties are happening with it and things like that well let's start with the fact that the last time I moved I became an alcoholic so um, <laughs> you know it's, um, you know, it's, it's real anxiety and um, I, I think it would be worse if I was moving to a place I don't know uh, I've been going I'm moving to the central coast for those of you listening in Missouri or something so it's about a two and a half three hour drive north and I won't be here for dinner I'll be here some weekends and things like that but um it's helped by the fact that I've had a life up there for about 12-15 years we have grandchildren up there um, I've got meetings up there, I've got home meetings up there. There is not very strong in the meetings I've attended to date OA up there. I've only gone to, over all those years, about six or seven OA meetings because I haven't gone up for even a week at a time. I've gone up for two to four days many, many, many times. And a strong AA up there. Um, but... Um, I've got a life there. Now, if I was moving to a place that's completely strange, I would plug into program. Immedi- I mean, I'm going to plug into program anyway, but I would seek connection by plugging into program. And in that case, I wouldn't care a lot about how strong the OA was. I think I would probably just care about the community uh, because it's a way to get help. I love traveling and going to OA meetings and bumping into people I know. I mean, it happens all the time. You know, I was in Tucson, Arizona, and there's somebody who many of you know who now lives in Tucson. I went to a meeting about a year and a half ago. I was at a Batman, so there are family Batman, mitzvah, And who do I see but this person? You know, it's kind of lovable, so thanks. Thank you, Christian. <coughs> you said that steps
1: six and seven are the beach. So, I have a question. Is there a character defect that you feel was completely removed? By completely my removed. So, I believe. Not completely. <laughs> lessened. And is there one that you're still struggling
0: with? Okay. Uh, when I talked about six and seven being uh, the toughies, is there a character defect that, have been, that has been lessened and that I still struggle with? Uh, I could cheat and give you the same one, but it's true. Uh, my problem's in patience. You know, for whatever reason, uh, I grew up with the New York Minute. One of my favorite essays is an essay in the Smithsonian uh, 20 years ago or so that New Yorkers aren't rude, we just efficient. You know? and uh, You know, you ask a question, you'll get an answer, and I won't say, how are you, first. You know, and uh, so I, um, impatience, I will die with impatience. What I will not die with, oh, I didn't say this, and I love this. Uh, Bill Wilson didn't agree with this, by the way. Uh, I was How much? Five. I have five, okay. Uh, Bill Wilson says that he used character defects in six and shortcomings in seven because he didn't feel like using the same word. Uh, I hope that's not true. I mean, I've got legal training. If you mean the same thing, use the same words, you don't want to end up in court over it. But, uh, you know, it's... Um, but what I think and what my sponsor taught me um, is that character defects are character my character defects and patience is my worst and I will die with some or all of them the only the ones I have in a minor way might be removed I mean I actually talk about character defects and OA. I sent those pictures around and I now weigh, depending upon what day it is and what year those were I'd say between 12 and 22 pounds is kind of a 10 pound range, more than that. I'd like to weigh that. But my character defect that was removed is I don't care a lot about weighing that. I care a little. I used to care. It was like there. You know, it was in my head all the time. Vanity, I guess we could call it. Um, what uh, impatience will not be removed, but... Uh, you know, character defects is that, uh, shortcomings, in my opinion and my sponsor's opinion, is acting out on my character defects. I might be impatient that somebody's not doing something quickly enough, but if I don't say, could you hurry up, then I have the character defect, but I don't have the shortcoming. Mm-hmm. You know, so I hope that helps. Mm-hmm. Hmm.
1: Um,
0: you mentioned higher power in terms of the group and people. But, um, I don't know, we're kind of like that shit crazy and people are fallible. so how does that work in a stable kind of higher power? Okay, I mentioned people and the group and 12-step groups as my higher power. How does that work? Because we're all here, because we're not all here.
1: Um,
0: you know, um, well, first of all, that's not my only higher power, so I guess I should talk about something else. But um, I think collectively, I believe this in here and in the world at large, collective wisdom is better than individual wisdom. You know, the group will always make a better decision than the individual, unless the group is being run by a mad individual. You know, that happens you know, that, that, that happens too. But that happens too. And I really do, I'm a big book bumper. I really do believe it's in the big book. Um, you know, if I want to know about, you know, step eight... I can go to the big book and find step eight. I can get on the web and read step eight uh, lectures. I can listen to step eight lectures. I can read step eight essays. I can, you know, it's. But I was also raised to believe that words matter, and not everybody was. So thanks. You struggled
1: for five years sober.
0: Why did you drink? Why didn't I drink? I wasn't as much of an addict, in my opinion. First of all, though this is an Amy, and it was mostly a pothead, uh, but I also drank alcoholically. And um, I, it was, I don't know, I think I wasn't as much of an addict. You know, I think I'm more of an addict to this thing. And and I was more of an addict, which is talk about character defects, to looking a certain way. Carol? Uh,
1: Thanks for your share. Life on life's terms, when I mean, you just want
0: to strangle life because it's really being a jerk, I mean, terms are just feel unacceptable. How do you get into that? When I hate life on life terms, is that yeah. um, I have been able to be somewhat by my work, somewhat by other people's work been able to put myself in a very fortunate situation that not everybody can. I spend very, very little time with people I don't like. Let's start there, so I've so, so I got, so got a leg up to begin with. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, when I spend time with people I don't like, uh, it's harder, it's harder. Uh, I think part of that is that I know life is short from all this, you know, almost dying a number of times. Uh, but, um, I try to figure out what I can usually do to... It's usually a person that's bothering me. It's not always a person, but it's a person. I really do try to figure out what I can do to help that person. I know that's an oxymoron. I, is that it? Okay. There's a story about my mother-in-law who I ended up loving that I can tell you after the meeting. Okay. <laughs>